This is the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today, Arsenal put in a dominant display. Are they one of, if not the best team in the country right now? We'll discuss issues for West Ham United and Leicester City. How good are Tottenham really? And also, do you think Brendan Rodgers will last at Leicester City? All that and more over the next hour on The Game. Hello again, welcome to The Game Podcast. I'm Hugh Wozencroft alongside Tony Cascarino, Alison Rudd and Tom Clark. Looking back on a, on a weekend which of course was slightly curtailed in terms of fixtures but loads of good football to still discuss. And we begin with Arsenal who put in a, a dominant display against Brentford winning 3-0 in West London to I think underline just how far they've come since the first game of last season where they lost this fixture two goals to nil. Alison, you were there. You saw the change in Mikel Arteta and all of his team. It's just a different Arsenal. Are they now the second best team in the country, maybe after Man City? They're maybe top, the best? They're top of the table, so they are currently the best team in the country, aren't they? And yes, we've, it's not just me that's seen the change. The whole world has seen the change because the cameras were on Mikel Arteta as he went through that angst-ridden phase of trying to get the team back on track after being humiliated in three the three opening games of last season. And, of course, because it all began on a Friday night under the lights at Brentford, they lost 2-0 at the start of last season. They were back at Brentford again. I mean, it's a shame they didn't have it as the exact parallel, but anyway. Uh, so they're back at Brentford again. And it was completely different, except for... The slightly worrying thing is because Tony Cascarino, who's sat on my left, has compared how Arsenal are playing now to how City play, which is a big compliment. The fact is Arsenal had to work incredibly hard and went into the game not with that sense of entitlement that City get. There was a definite fear factor there, which Arteta, I think, quite cleverly, obviously the result proves it, cleverly didn't make that so that they became too nervous or imploded or whatever. He used the fact that that had been their most embarrassing moment. So they were hyper-prepared, if you like. The fans were really up for it. It was it was a bit strange because the Arsenal fans were treating a game at Brentford as if it was, you know, the big one. It's almost, you know, North London derby proportions of anger from the stands and dissing Brentford. And you think, well, where, 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 how, how low did they fall to feel that they had to put in so much effort to overcome Brentford? Fact of the matter is... Brentford were dreadful, really. They just didn't get out of third gear. They weren't the normal Brentford. So that made Arsenal look incredibly smooth. And I can see what Tony means by comparing them to City because they had space and time to be slick because they weren't put under any pressure. Some teams just don't cope with an early kickoff. And it was a noon kickoff and it was cold. And there was just nothing. There was nothing inside the stadium. There was no passion, nothing at all. The players just couldn't couldn't get going. It was quite peculiar I've not seen Brentford in the Premier League play I've seen them play poorly but I've always seen them play with um, pressure and passion none of that was there so yes they did look incredibly impressive but that's because they'd almost over prepared for a team that didn't offer them much that they needed to overcome at all but I will say it sounds like I'm being negative about Arsenal I watching uh, Jesus in the flesh is a privilege he isn't just about his goals. The way he approaches the game, it's it's like um, he loves it more than anyone in the universe. There's a joyousness about him, which is great. And I think we've seen not just the evolution of Arteta, but the evolution of, of Granit Xhaka, who I was there when he threw his armband to the floor three years ago. He wore the armband again on Sunday because um, Erdegaard was injured. And instead of it being... You know, something that might I don't embarrass him or make him feel like he had to get stuck in too much. It was a sort of effortless, grown-up performance. It was um, so th- there was a lot to praise, but I wouldn't read too much into over preparing against a poor Brentford. Tony, <laughs> you put it in the Times, a city-like performance from Arsenal. Yeah, so I, w- I wouldn't be the first person to say that this weekend. I think we've got got away from the fact that Odegaard wasn't playing who's been terrific for Arsenal and then you could also argue Zinchenko at left back didn't play Tierney was really good in the game I thought done brilliant Vieira likewise Arsenal did all the things that City do they win the ball off you high up they win it quickly they move it quick everything they did was very City-like and 
Is it a bad comparison? Because this is very early doors, as in, you know, City have been doing this for five years. But what you can see, the intentions of Arteta and his team is to clone what City do. And they, they are doing it very well at the moment. And you can make teams look bad. You know, and they made look Brentford look bang average. They didn't offer any threat in any shape or form. Wolves got beat 3 0 home by City at the weekend, quite comfortably, in a similar sort of way. And Wolves are a decent side, like Brentford are. Brentford were made to look very average by the way that Arsenal play the game now. And it feels like now Arteta's really got his team together with some incredible signings because. As Gabriel Jesus, what we just talked about, with obviously with what Alison was just saying, that he's added so much. And there is a real enthusiasm about every player that puts on an Arsenal shirt at the moment. And they might be getting carried away because they know, uh, you know, they, they know they're a good side and they know they're a side that can go and win games on a regular basis. So I think Arsenal fans are looking at their present team and they're really proud of them and they really are starting to trust them. And, you know, the performance at Old Trafford, yes, they lost the game, but there was a lot of good things in that game that showed you that Arsenal are a completely different side. And you said, you know, are they the second best team? Well, we know Man City are the team to beat and they could win the league by 10 points. But there's a massive gulf from where Arsenal were until we'll, to where they are now. And I'm really looking forward to the North London derby because I really feel it's going to be bragging rights in North London of who can come out on top. And I I do think Arsenal look a, a slightly better team than Tottenham at the moment. We'll come to that. We'll come to, to whether Tottenham are all that a little bit later on in the podcast as well. In a weird way, Tom, how much credit does Mikel Arteta really deserve? I mean, he's gone, he's worked with Pep Guardiola. and Listen, it's not like he's taken a hint of Pep's style. Tony's telling us they're a carbon copy. Yeah, absolutely useless. You've never rated him. Um, it's not It's not at all impressive to take your first job in management and take a team that were in dire straits like Arsenal and eventually build them up. One, one thing I would say, just finally on Tony's point about them being city light, is that you see, like Kieran Tierney, I thought it was fascinating watching him do what we've praised Zinchenko do this season and kind of roam into those central areas, which is not necessarily something that we'd have associated with Tierney's game beforehand which again echoes the idea that City are a team, they're a system, they're a way of playing, and Arteta is able to find Odegaard's out, as Tony said, bring in Vieira, great, mm. it all works, it all fits. Zinchenko's injured, no problem, Tierney plays. Even even Ben White, who's looking pretty good at right-back, like I'm not sure many Brighton fans would have necessarily said, oh, he'll be a top-four right-back. He looks pretty good, he was bombing forward. I think the system, to me, seems to have clicked. And last season they said, you know, they kind of had a top layer system. They now seem to have added that. And Tony, you mentioned in your column as well, mm. recruitment. So yeah, to to take your point on Hugh, maybe Arteta deserves no credit whatsoever. But the other people who do are, they seem to have got the recruitment right, don't they, Tony? Because yeah, absolutely. That's something you mentioned that can make a huge difference if you get your signings right. You, that's how you go up a level from where you were last season. Yeah, and you you take players that you know as well and you trust. And I think you know, obviously, Hazus has come in and just been extraordinary. I I, I can't believe that he's not in the Brazil squad now. His effort on the left side of the the game on. Uh, yesterday as well. It wasn't. It was a centre forward role. It was how much effort, and we know he can play. I saw him play against Real Madrid on the left, left wing, come left wing back, and done a brilliant job. He he gets in positions that are so unselfish for the team to win the ball, and and when it goes forward, he is making. 50, 60 yard runs to get in forward positions. And I think everybody's been inspired by him at Arsenal. And he's come with a big smile and he comes with a bit of a swagger of, I've got the Premier League winner title a few times here. And okay, I might not have been the main man, but he really feels like he wants to be the main man for Arsenal as well. Yeah, he's got that home at Arsenal at the moment. And I know Manchester City were great for him, but the responsibility seems to be relishing as well. And his goal, I think. I think it was really well taken. Granit Xhaka got a lot of praise for the assist. And I know Alisson's highlighted him already. It was pointed out, you know, he's playing in a slightly more advanced role. He was able to roam a little bit more. That paid dividends. How big can Granit Xhaka be for Arsenal? Do you know one of the biggest things you can do as a sportsman, and obviously we're talking about football here, is there ain't many people who win over crowds. That's really hard to do. 
is, you know, the feeling of your fans or, you know, your club, get him out of the club, he's no good for us, you know, and you hear all this on radio stations, newspaper articles. He's changed everybody's opinion. But the one guy that believed him more than anybody was Arteta. Because Arteta could have quite easily said, you're not, well, we did, he wasn't his captain, but say, you're not only not my captain, you'll be out of the club. I, you know, go and look for another club. Tell your agent. Well, Granit Xhaka already said he, was, he almost went to Roma, didn't he? Yeah. And Arteta's kept him. Mm. And so you have to give... And you said earlier about, you know, what has Arteta, you know, how much has achieved. But keeping Granit Xhaka and then making him become a, a slightly different player that many of us would not have thought he was capable of doing, well, he's proved so many people wrong. And Granit Xhaka has become now a player that is another leader in this particular... And there was one time, if you'd have said to me how many captains at Arsenal, I said, Phew. I'm not sure, hardly anybody. Mm. But you asked me that question two years ago, and now Granit Xhaka, adding Gabriel Jesus, uh, adding other players within the team, Tierney and, and others, Ben White. They've now feel like they've got five or six leaders on that football pitch. That was quite that was quite astute of Arteta actually, because Xhaka's uh, dad was saying, "Oh, you should leave. This is this too toxic for you here." They don't appreciate you. This is awful. So the people closest to him were saying, "You should probably get mm. out." And it would have been easy for Arteta to say, sure, you know, maybe this is the end of it. But he knew by giving him love when he needed love, he would have a proper soldier with him, wouldn't he? It's like mm. someone leading men and thinking, well, who, who, who's going to fight for me? If I fight for him a little bit now, he will give it me back in the future. And that's exactly what's happened. Yeah, I think He is now fighting right. and doing exactly what Arteta wants him to do. So he might change his role slightly, tell him to dovetail here, do this, mm. do not do that. He... Jacker will always say yes, boss, because he looked after him at his lowest ebb when it would have been easy to get rid of him. But that's that's clever management because he's probably the most loyal player he's got now. Absolutely. I w I'd agree 100% on every level. Regards to, that is, look, changing careers round, think of players in your... You know, if you said, like, Deli Alli and he's had his slide and many, many others, it's not just on Deli Alli, but many others whose career is going downwards and you reverse it and you manage to do that... You find it very hard in football to find how many people have actually achieved that. Mm. I mean, I think at the time when he threw the armband to the ground, I don't think any of us thought he would ever, maybe if he continued to play for Arsenal, that's one thing, but would ever actually be given the captain's armband to talk, to lead them out again. So mm. just to see him wear it and to perform so well was actually quite astounding from, from my perspective. Um, Tom, are we looking at a team that could challenge, do you think? I knew you'd throw that one to me. Why did I get that one? Honestly. Well, well they're top of the league. Well, come on. Uh, well, one thing we have learned is that I went a season too early on Mikel Arteta being manager of the season, didn't I? But, you know, let's go early this time. He's done it, hasn't he? He's cracked it. <laughs> He's smashed it. Um, no, they're not going to challenge for the title. But... Really? No, I don't think so. Um, Pep Guardiola's allowing them to play City like because that's gone now. Then City don't play like City. Well, anymore. true, yeah. They are they are Gulliver in the land of Lilliput now. Yeah, very well put, Alison. I definitely wouldn't have come up with a phrase like that. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I don't think they're going to challenge. No, does anyone think they're going to challenge? No, no. no I think we all recognise yeah. the strength of City, and it's going to be poor. well. They could be second. But yeah, but they can be second and still not challenge for the title, can't they? With this City team, that as Tony said earlier, City could win the title by ten, maybe more points. Um, and look, we talked at the start of the season about Arteta and whether you know progress would be getting in the top four. Would that be enough? It looks like that's going to be a serious, realistic opportunity for them to finish second, third, fourth, and that'll be a huge improvement. Yeah. Okay. All going well at Arsenal. A little bit disappointing. What do you do, okay, everyone? I want to know what you do if you are Arteta for the North London derby. Do you try and play the way you play, knowing that Spurs are so blooming good on the counter? Mm. It's a good question, Tony. Yeah. Well, I would always opt for. Don't worry too much about them. As in, this is what we do. Because I think, if you think of Liverpool, how they've achieved you know, successful football and winning competitions by not worrying about when they had Man City. And I know Man City have won an, a number of titles in the recent years, but Liverpool at their best and doing what they do cause City problems. And I think Arsenal have to think like that when they play Spurs. It's, yes, we recognise how dangerous they are, but let's not stop doing what we are really good at. And we can cause them problems as well. I think you can get carried away about stopping opposition uh, far too often. And um, so, yes, I would try and do the same things. The other thing I'd say to that, Alison, is that players we haven't mentioned, like Saliba, Gabriel, Arsenal's defence seems much improved as well. So mm -hmm. when you're quite rightly saying how brilliant Tottenham are on the counter-attack and 
players like Son, Kane getting into form, they've got a good defence now, Arsenal. So they can do, as Tony says, we're going to back ourselves, we're going to play our way and we'll, we'll, we'll get nearly, the guys at the back to deal with it. Tom, they nearly did it against City, didn't they, last mm. season? Yeah, they, they did. T- they played brilliantly against City. Yeah. And they didn't play with fear of thinking, oh, City, let, let's just get everybody behind the ball. Mm. They were really unlucky not to get something out of that game at the Emirates last year. Yeah, but the thing about City is, you know, you, you, you almost can play against them. They want to play. They'll let you play. Let's see who the better side is. I'm not sure Antonio Conte's approach with Spurs, particularly away from home in the Emirates, is going to be quite like that. Although we'll come to Tottenham a little bit later on because that first half from Leicester City is maybe something that Mikel Arteta can pick up on if they do things a little bit more successfully. And I think they would than Leicester did this weekend. I think they could get a positive result anyway, of course. Plenty of time to come until the North London derby with the international break on the way. Another positive result, though, this weekend from an Arsenal perspective. Another club in London, though, uh, who aren't too happy at this point in time are West Ham United, who sit... In the relegation zone, five defeats from their opening seven games. Beaten 1-0 at Goodison Park. Neil Mopé's first Everton goal was the difference. But what is the issue for West Ham United right now? Tom Clark, you can start on this one if you want. Thanks very much. Um, (laughs) It feels a bit stale, doesn't it? When you look at the team sheet, when you look at the options that Moyes has got, yes, they brought in players like Scamacha, but I mean, he's clearly not settled right away or Moyes doesn't feel have full faith in him because he's not starting him um, he's bringing him off the bench and he kind of his performance yesterday seemed to embody probably what a lot of the fans are feeling which is huge frustration you know he ran around he committed a few fouls he looked a bit petulant to be honest they, he couldn't really get into the game it feels like they need to do something Moyes certainly perhaps needs to do something a little bit radical tactically perhaps you just look at that team sheet and you look at kind of coup foul going forward from right back Rice and Suchek in the centre of midfield, you're kind of like, we've seen this before. And this is something that we talked about in the season preview going into this season. They did it one season, amazing. They did it the second season, incredible. And you're like, can they do it again? The same the same methods, the same tactics, the same style, essentially the same group of players. It's proving hugely difficult. So I feel like perhaps they need to do something a little bit more bold. They've got some fixtures coming up. I think they've got Wolves. Uh, and Fulham as Southampton, next, yeah, yeah. Southampton. So you know you've got three games there where I think perhaps Moyes, it's a huge cliche and it's more far more um, nuanced than this. But you know maybe maybe try two up top, maybe try something a bit more attacking to try and take the game to some of these teams who they they can and should and would want to be beating. I'm going to disagree with Tom. How dare you? I know, but it makes for. <laughs> Makes for better listening. You think you think they you think they've been good this season? No, I don't. I think that would be a bigger. I think I think the problem. I think they've spent a lot of money, West Ham, and that they we are seeing glimpses of the new signings. I think this is down to what sort of manager Moyes is. If you think about it, he spent a lot lot of time at Everton doing the same thing over and over again with the same personnel, and he came unstuck going into Manchester United because he had to do lots of new things and deal with new players and change his environment. And this has happened again with West Ham. If you look at what when West Ham have done well under Moyes, it's been you can predict the lineup. They play the same way. He has faith in the players. He has faith in. He's been given some money. He's got new players. He doesn't. He's not very good at, at hitting the ground running. He's he's. He's almost nervous about how to integrate. And even those players like Corne, we, we he's played in the Premier League before and you know what he can do. There's a nervousness about it. And I find it really weird that he keeps blaming. Sometimes he blames the new signings for not being, up, you know, not being ready. And then he blames his existing players for not giving him what they gave him before. While at the same time saying, but we're very tired because of our European commitments. It's like he doesn't even know himself what he, what he wants to convey as to what is wrong. And ultimately that's, that's, probably the thing you do as a manager isn't it you've got you've had a strange season you almost won almost but not really almost but almost won a trophy you've got a summer to work out why that might didn't come off did you you know did you balance your resources properly did he give too much to Europe I think they did actually probably put too many eggs in the European basket and he's got it all over again this season he doesn't seem to be learning from it he's already using the Thursday night football as an excuse this is this is not a manager who I think is on top of change your reaction Tony it's always difficult to assess David Moyes in the transfer market because look teams have recruitment teams that work hard on who is available and what the manager wants. Ben Rama's struggled really since he's come from Brentford. Bowen was a big success, but was he, 
you know, he's very up and down type of player. He's not a, a silky winger, you know, a, that does very special things at moments. So I always feel Bowen's always a player that makes great runs, gets in good positions and can finish. That's how I see him. Skamaka has come in again, scored goals. He played in the game at Villa Park. I think they won in the league. He started, but he's only started one Premier League game, which is really strange for me. It's like you've spent 30 odd million. And you've only started him once in the Premier League so far. So I don't quite understand. It's because he's deeply conservative, don't you? Yeah, yes. And, well, this is my broader point. He loves to be conservative because if you look at someone like David uh, uh, Craig Dawson when he came in, Craig Dawson sort of fits... David Moyes, is, yeah. you know what you get in, you're going to get a real honest centre-half, does all the, the the ABCs of the game really, really well. But I'm never quite sure how... It, but Pacata's come in from Leon, hasn't he? Pacata has come in. And now he's a real technical player that sometimes you carry him as a bit of a luxury. And I don't think he really enjoys them sort of players sometimes. I mean, I remember, I'm pretty sure, I'd have to check this out, but when he got to Manchester United... I think Fellaini was his first signing. If he wasn't his first, he was definitely his he, second. He was, he was the big signing of that summer. Sixth choice central midfielder that Man United went for, I think. Fifth or sixth that they, they finally got over the line. Because he the likes of Tony him. Cruz. Yes, he liked him. Yeah, yeah because he, he, he trusted the way he played, but he wasn't really a Man United type of player. So no, we can all no. probably agree on that. But I do think he's uncomfortable in transfer markets. And it could be conservative, what? Alison said, but there's a part of me that I don't know how much he really embraces really good technical players as he sees them as a bit of a, a bit of a luxury for the way I want to play. So he's a really hard manager to to dissect and how he goes about his job because let's face it, they were in relegation trouble and done brilliantly well, didn't keep him on. Why didn't the club keep him on first time? You could probably ask that question to yeah. yourself. They let him go and then he comes back because they get in trouble again. He gets them out of that trouble. Then they have a really good campaign last year and now investment comes, a huge, you know, in West Ham has spent quite a decent amount of money late in the transfer market and then that's not quite worked out. And I still don't get how you can go knowing you need a, a striker to, to, I would say, compete with Antonio, but you could easily play Antonio on the left and you go Skamaka down the middle. And he started one Premier League game and only played European League games. My turn for a question for Rudd now. After your, <laughs> how, how do you win the North London derby? What does Moisey do then? He's got these players. He's got that run of games that I picked out. Winnable games, as they always say. Um, I'm sure those team, other teams they're playing, they would disagree. What does he do with what he's got? How does he change it? Well, he can't, he can't change who he is, can he? I mean, that's... That's a mean question because I think that I think what we're seeing is what he inherently is, which is a cautious, conservative, mistrustful manager who likes to feel he's got players on side. They're, they're fi- you know they've got a fighting spirit. Everyone knows their role. It's not going to be good for him or the team for him to pretend to be something he's not. Absolutely. So, but maybe maybe he just needs to be more open with his coaching staff listen more to what their input mm. is because at the moment I think they're shrouded in doubt and that that isn't good mm. because if you've got good technical players as Tony's pointed out there are there are a lot of good technical players they're going to be inhibited if they feel any sense of what Tony says is true so maybe he should I don't know hand over the the team talk to the attacking players get, get a fresh voice in make them feel like they can express themselves because at the moment I think their main problem is that they're inhibited because they played quite well once they've gone a goal down Mm. and then you forget your normal inhibitions, don't you? Well, they started running at Everton, didn't they? Exactly. And they they threw Corne on and Ben Rama and started started attacking. Ben Rama hit the woodwork. So it could have been, a we could be talking about actually equalising and then snatching Mm. a late winner and it all being about Everton this this Mm. morning. But Mm. it's it's, that, that in a way sums up that if they're not starting like that, that comes from the manager. Can, can I just make one quick point as well? And, you know, you've got a new captain in Declan Rice, who I've always considered he's a player that eight or nine out of ten every week. He's had a really indifferent start to the season. You know, he could easily be England captain further down the line. Um, he's a tremendous player. But he, I watched him against Brighton uh, at the London Stadium. He was really poor. I couldn't believe I was watching Declan Rice because he's a talented lad. He's got great energy, you know, huge stature as he plays the game. And he's sort of fallen into the trap of his performances have been, in my opinion, of him low-key. 
I think there's a bit of fatigue with Declan Rice. Mm. I think there was a lot there. There was a lot placed on him in terms of West Ham being successful last season, and it, in every game he basically started. I mean, he barely got a rest throughout the season. I think he's not the only one. He's not the no. only player who I think I know it sounds weird that is a little bit fatigued this season. I know we spoke about Trent Alexander Arnold before, Bowen, you but probably... yeah, I do think there are some leggy players in the Premier League who haven't really hit the ground running at the start of this season. I do think it's a bit of fatigue. They need him. I would change things if I was David Moyes, though. I wouldn't drop Declan Rice, don't no. worry. But um, a three at the back for me wouldn't be the worst thing in the world at this but point in time. But he's done that. He's done that already. I know, he's I know. He's always played three. He's played all Yeah, times. I know, I know. But I, I do think I, the reason that I do that is because I would start Skamaka. I'd just say, look, we'll give you a run. Let's see what you can do. But you probably need bodies closer to him the way that he's played so far. It doesn't look like he's going to be a Didier Drogba type. Not yet. Let's put it that way. So get players near him. You've got some, again, Corne, I would start because he's just had that that X factor in the Premier League. You know, he's played for Burnley, hasn't needed a lot in terms of service to produce. If he gets the ball near the penalty box, he seems to get a shot off. He's obviously extremely quick. You've got Bowen on the other side. How you fit Paqueta in the creative, I think, play of Paqueta. Lanzini's not in the team at the moment. You've got Fornells who can, I think he can throw himself about in the midfield a little bit, but also he's a creative player, likes to get on the ball. There doesn't seem to be, in terms of the recruitment, uh, a like, like for likes. No. It just doesn't. I why, why, why do you think, and, and this is for all of us here, what was the thinking behind, behind buying Paqueta? He's just an incredibly good player who raises the quality level. That's it. I mean, that, that can be the only reason. But they had also missed out on a player who was on the opposition, Onana. They, they, you know, by yeah. all accounts, they wanted him. And fun, it was funny watching him playing and Everton in general. Maybe this is the tale of the copycat managers because you've got Frank Lampard, known for his carefree attacking football at previous jobs and not being very uh, astute defensively. He's turned into David Moyes, hasn't he? It was incredible. He signed a workhorse striker in Neil Mopé. He signed James Tarkovsky, who's basically exactly what Tony said about Craig Dawson. And there was that incredible moment when they were 1-0 up and the whole of Goodison was rising and uproarious. And it was Onana, I think, and they had a counter-attacking opportunity. And he crossed the halfway line yeah, yeah. and went, nope, no, 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 no. I'm not doing that. Turned around and there was this like, they didn't boo, but everyone went, oh, fine, okay, I can see why you've done that, but it's a bit boring, really. Everton have turned into Moisey's West Ham, haven't they? Well, uh, and at one point, Everton haven't scored more than once in any game so far. Exactly, this one nil to the Everton, and it, and they've they paid a price for getting one nil up at, at times as well because they've done exactly what Tom's saying. Yeah, I, I, you look at the bench. I think Ogbonner and Dawson, who've been out with injury, were on the bench, mm. but they're obviously not fit enough to start. I think Tilo Kura hasn't had a good start. I would play three at the back though. I think they've got enough, but I just look at Emerson on the bench and think. You probably want him on the pitch and he could play probably better as a wing back. Mm. I don't know. I, I don't know. I do think he needs to try something. He needs to get, for me, Paqueta and Skamaka into the starting lineup. I just think you need to freshen the team up. It's not working. I'm making this a theme of the show. I'm going to ask Alison another question now. Uh, <laughs> those three games that we've talked about coming up, if he doesn't get, you know, two wins or a win and a draw, are we seriously starting to talk about Moisey's future at West Ham? They're Wolves, Fulham, Southampton and Bournemouth in the next four games, by the way. Oh, if he was to lose all four, then then that would be yeah, a disaster. Yeah, yeah. But only but one. Think, oh, what about I, only one win and a draw and two defeats? Such are the fine margins of one's fate in this business. <laughs> I don't know. What do you think, Tony? Four points from Wolves, Fulham, Southampton, and Bournemouth. Would that be enough? Well, I always feel West Ham, the type of club they are, their the, their supporters can get very vocal about how you know much disharmony or how angry they can get at a football club and. Sometimes the owners at West Ham sort of, you know, they, they seem to react to that. Um, I think he's got a bit of, he's still got a little bit of money in the bank, uh, as in, I do think they'll pick up points as well in this next period. So yeah. I don't think the problem is now. I think it will be after, the you know, they they break up for the World Cup where they are. Yeah. And that, that period of, you know, you've got to, you, you know, you've spent, what, best part of 60 odd million uh, to bring two players in. And so you have to find a way of that investment to get him into the side that suits everybody. And I don't know, I just always feel we get, he makes me feel like luxury players. He always is a little bit uncomfortable around, you know, implementing him, them into his team. 
Those teams I mentioned, by the way, four of the next five. The other games, Liverpool away from home. So I didn't, I didn't put it in because I don't think he'll get judged on his result. That's the easiest game of the lot. They're rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> his result at Anfield. Um, he has changed the formation and the personnel in every Premier League game so far. So although we're saying, what does he need to do? Maybe does he just need to settle on what he wants to do? Because yeah, it, it can't help the players. Is that because of Europe? You know, they've played a number of European games. Has he changed because he's felt he's needed to change? Because well, yeah, physically, he so... But that shows you that the recruitment's not like for like then. Because if every time you put different players into the team, you need to change the formation and the style of play, mm. that points towards the recruitment not being ideal. As I said, no like for likes. No. We'll see. I think there's a lot of good players at West Ham United. I just wonder whether... And you, you know this, Tony, expectation changes very quickly. They've now become a club where... You know what? Eighteen months ago, we were saying, could they get into the top four? So the expectation of fans, Europe is a minimum. I think now, if they don't reach Europe this year, what happens to David Moyes? Well, it also depends on, you know, how you get beat, style of play. I mean, it's very well, hard lost, to you be lost one nil to Everton. Yeah, I know. Didn't score and against yeah, Everton. I know, but there's. Oh, there is always a bigger picture, and the bigger picture for David Moyes is that he has... For the, the laws of the game, nearly all teams doing well are, are, are attack-minded sides who go and get goals. It's very hard to find pragmatic teams. A whole you go across Europe. You look at Serie A, and you watch Atalanta, now top of Serie A. What do they do? They play a very attack-minded style. So it's very hard to be successful or with pragmatism in the game. And, and that's what David Moyes is. Okay. All right. I've just got to say some positives for Everton. They've only conceded six goals in the opening seven games. That's the second best defensive record in the Premier League. So Frank Lampard's clearly doing something right. Good signings. I mean, yeah. come on. Cody and Tarkovsky are good. They're good. I think you dissed Tarkovsky a bit there before. Actually, Tom, I, I think I, he's excellent. I, you're forgetting my love of Burnley. When you remember Burnley when they're in the Premier League, little old they? Burnley. Who are they? Then me and James Tarkovsky. They were my super, super top, top, top mates. Um, <laughs> no, absolutely love them. And you're right that they are sensible signings. The problem with Everton, in a similar way to West Ham, is that they've made these signings and improved as a team that are not going to be in the relegation scrap. What happens when come, we come back from the World Cup and you start going, yeah, well, we want to get a bit higher up the table now. That'll be the problem. And as Tony says. It's all well and good me making jokes about 1-0 to the Everton. They do need to kind of progress. And there was that m slightly fraught 20 minutes at the end where they, they had promising moments going forward. I think Damari Gray looked really threatening in behind and flashed a kind of chance across the front face of goal and Mope didn't go for it. They need to be getting that second goal. No, in I think survival was the target at the start of the season. Yeah, I agree. It can be with those kind of signings. Take it. I mean, I, forget the signings, just... The club could have gone one of two ways, you know, over the last few years well, with all the money that's been spent. It looks like it's been very much negative. If they finish even upper lower, upper bottom half, excuse me, you'd be delighted with 12th, 13th, 14th. Yeah. Well, oh, yeah. look, look, just on one point, because this is an important one, he's done exactly the same as what Eddie Howe did. He's changed his whole back four. You look at, he's got a new back four. You know, gone are the days of Seamus Coleman or Holgate's been left out, Keane's been left out. He's changed the whole back four, which, you know, you know they were conceding a lot of goals, you know, a year ago. You look at him when Lampard towards the end, they were conceding on a regular basis. He's said, you know, he's looked at it and gone, I need a completely different back four. And that's what really Eddie Howe did at Newcastle. Okay, all right. Thank you very much. Uh, more still to come on the game podcast. Remember, if you're enjoying it, uh, leave us a review, like us, but make sure you're subscribed. Most importantly, we'll be talking at Tottenham Hotspur next. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. 
Son Heung-min scored a remarkable 13-minute hat-trick as Tottenham beat Leicester 6-2 to move up to third in the Premier League table. They're level on points, though, with Manchester City. There is still, though, a debate about the quality of the performances from Tottenham Hotspur, and that's despite scoring six at the weekend and an unbeaten start to the season. So, how good are they really? Tony Cascarino, <laughs> where are Tottenham right now? Well, they've got an amazing forward line, and we don't have to name them all, but they have, and who are going to score goals on a regular basis. I mean, Leicester are the perfect opposition for anybody at the moment. I know, let's not kid ourselves. The week before they got, you know, the last previous game got beat by Brighton 5-2 and looked like they were going to ship goals at an alarming rate. This was no different at the weekend. Now, they were in the game, Leicester. You know, uh, 2-2... What, it was a 47th minute and went 3-2 to Spurs. But that moment that happened, Leicester looked like they were going to go 4-2 and 5. And it happened all so quickly. Now, I was disappointed in Tottenham at Chelsea. I thought they were really poor. Because that if this is a team that's going to challenge for the title and they end up getting a goal that could have been disallowed and get a 2-2 draw at the bridge, uh, but was clearly outplayed by Chelsea. Dominated in every area. This game at the weekend, it was nip and tuck for a while ended up being runaway winners. Um, so, I mean, I watched the game in sport against Sporting in midweek as well and and they were the better team and were beaten by two really good goals late on by Sporting. I think there's more to come from this Spurs team. There has to be. Um, where where would the improvement come? I, I sort of feel that defensively, I'm not, I mean, look, Davison Sanchez played and didn't have one of his best games. And I don't, there's no way Romero can be on the bench and he can play. To me, they're, they're different quality players. And I think that will be the theme for them being better and more assured defensively because they are going to score a shed load of goals. They are. They just got that much ability in their forward line. Play 3-5-2, make sure you play Basuma, control midfield, make Son and Kane feel as happy as they've ever felt before and they'll be absolutely fine. It's very simple. I don't know why he's meddled so much, really. OK, so where does Kulusevski come into it? Where would he play? Super sub, super sub. Really? Yeah. In the 3-5-2. So where's the creative force? You started Eve Basuma, I take it it's not him. Ben Kane, Kane, and... Kane, I mean, they've got enough intelligence at the back. To, to, to start any sort of move but we've seen what happens with Spurs Kane drops deep he encourages someone to mm. play in the ball deep Son makes the run wham bam and you don't worry about being caught on the break because you've got someone like Basuma and his minions to soak it up <laughs> it's it's clearly it's, that, that was the change that was made it wasn't just that Son had a point to prove that was the change that was made in this game because Tony's absolutely right Leicester didn't look too dreadful Mm. against them they were almost poor it's not quite but they were all I mean, yeah. Yeah. Leicester scored you go back to what they were really I think which is relying on Kane and Son's double act okay where does that leave them though because that doesn't make them necessarily a better side than they were last season I mean that's the same attacking force that we've seen and we were expecting more from Tottenham will that make no, why, them why would you know that that's just that's just that's fantastical and greedy because Son and Kane, everybody in the land would like to own them both as a pairing. And mm. you've got them. Yeah, but you, you don't get, have to you be clever more, about you, it. If you could get more out of the other nine players, you might go and win a trophy. The point is, they look like, even though they no, scored six... No, you don't six need to, though, do you? You just have to make... You know you're going to score. Those two players, you're going to get goals. The rest of them, built round Bissouma, you've got, you've got the solidity you need. That's all you need to do. You need to win one or two nil. It hasn't, been the, it hasn't been the recipe for winning the Premier League for some time. Didn't have playing, Bissouma. Playing Didn't football have Bissouma. like that. And they weren't, they weren't relaxed about playing three at the back, which I think most people who've watched Spurs think they look more comfortable with three at the back anyway. Mm, no, I agree. I agree, but I, 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 I don't know. I maybe expect, and again, very strange saying it off the back of scoring six goals, but in particular, that first half performance, as bad as Leicester are, I think they found it quite comfortable to hurt Tottenham Hotspur. Mm. I didn't see the same level of control over games, and not just against Leicester City, but so far this season. Zuma wasn't on the pitch in the first half. That, that Tottenham should have. So you think that that's the difference? Well, uh, well uh, no, but there was an element of Leicester's style which was reckless, but enabled them to cause problems. Madison loved the game. He was absolutely having a field day because he was allowed to sit in a position that didn't rely too much on dropping deep and getting into the defensive areas of the game, which he is not his biggest strength. But when it came to him, he found himself with five yards. 
to get on the ball and look at his head up, find a pass. Harvey Barnes was terrific down the left. He kept making runs. Dak has an, always an outlet with his speed. And and I thought that it was it was one of them games you can look at and go, well, Leicester did make a match of it. They did, but there wasn't the element of you need to the forwards need to stop the opposition. And they made no real effort for me, watching the game, of stopping Tottenham in certain areas of the pitch. I am both fantastical and greedy because <laughs> I, I, I believe that this Tottenham team should be better and I want to see more than the six goals they scored the weekend. No, I'm joking. I just want to see more of a dominant, controlling football team. I've spoken about it so many times in the past. I love Antonio Conte, but so far I just I, th- I see a Tottenham team that I think is a, is a beatable side even though they're unbeaten so far against the best opposition in the league. I'm hoping I'm going to jump in here on behalf of all Tottenham fans and say we're all having a bit of a giggle, aren't we? They're third. They've got the same number of points as Manchester City. But are they good? No, but Hugh, I think you're... Are they good? Hugh, I think what you're doing is you're kind of retrospectively judging them based on all their pre-season hype. I know, Conte, oh, they're going to be the third team. They're going to be the challengers. The fact is they are the third team. They're quite literally third in the Premier League. They're on the same number of points as Manchester City. It's probably never been this exciting to be a Tottenham fan in terms of the options they've got, in terms of the fact that we can have the arguments and debates whether Alisson thinks Kulisevsky should be a super sub and they should go for Basuma or whether I think that Richarlison's going to be a superstar this season and play a big role. But also the fact, Alisson, Son's been poor this season, I think. Before scoring a hat-trick off the bench, which looks great, I don't think he's been great this season. And I also thought it was quite telling he did a kind of shush silence celebration when he was scoring these goals, which I'd wondered whether it was a bit pointed, like, don't slag me off, I'm still world-class, which he is. But isn't that fantastic? They scored six goals. They absolutely blew Leicester away in the second half. Yes, they were poor, but they're third. It's never been this exciting to be a Tottenham supporter. Are they going to challenge for the title? No. Are they going to be like Arsenal, competing for second, third, fourth? Yes, definitely. And that's brilliant. I like Perisic as well. I, Great I, signing. I think his delivery. delivery. Yeah, his, his deliveries and just experience of playing. I always remember watching him in the World Cup semi-final when Croatia played England and thinking, well, England are winning now and what will happen? And he, and he changed. He went from one side to the other and then he got on the ball more. And he just realised what he had to do in a game to make a difference. And I think he's already done that enough for Tottenham where you can go, well, you can play as a wing back or you can play as a wide left. And his delivery, like Tom said, is exceptional with his left foot. And he will sometimes come in on his right foot and pick out a pass. So I think he's been a big addition. And that goes again to a manager that knows him. You know, knows what he's getting, trusts him and thinks he can deliver for him. And and I felt he's made a, an impact at Spurs, not to the levels of some other players that have come in, but I think a very important player. Uh, got to talk about Brendan Rodgers very quickly at Leicester City. Six defeats in a row, 22 goals conceded after seven games for Leicester City. I mean, I could ask whether you guys think this is the end for Brendan Rodgers or whether you feel there is a genuine concern now that they will be relegated. You can answer time, whichever you want. By the time people listen to us, he'll be gone. You think he's he's gone now? Definitely. Oh, no, he, they, they, no one's going to sack anybody before the end of the period of mourning. But, you know, he'll be gone very soon. You don't think he gets the next game, which is an absolute mouth-watering clash at the bottom of the table mm. against Nottingham Forest? No, because you've got the international break and the chance to uh, bed in someone. People who cover Leicester a lot, the way he, Brendan Rodgers phrases what's going wrong, he's making it clear. He, it's almost at every briefing, he's finding another reason and he's not doing that thing where a manager says, like Arteta did when it went pear-shaped, saying, it's me, I'm the one, I have to fix this. There's, there doesn't seem to be that he's at, at the point where he wants to try and fix it. It's the point where he feels he'd like to leave on his own terms. Do you agree you'll get fired, Tony? I'd be amazed if he stays. Uh, there's too many decisions that have happened at Leicester and and I just... Look, you lose a, a Fafania, you lose him. You're a big fee and, you know, he left him, pushed him aside a bit and didn't, you know... and. I didn't think he handled that well. And the lad's been given an incredible opportunity of joining, you know, a big club in Chelsea, been very successful. He knew it was going to happen. He, he, it, it always felt, well, this is inevitable. But I still didn't quite like the handling of the way that Fafania left. And, he, OK, you could say, well, he skipped training. But I, I just felt strange things have happened with players. I will never get in a million years how Brendan Rodgers 
allowed Smeichel to leave the football club. If you really believe that he's worse than Danny Ward, then... Uh, sorry, that's not football manager to me. Well, he I, deserves I to be sacked if that's the case. Yeah, doesn't he? Let's be honest. If Danny Ward's better than Casper Schmeichel, but then maybe it's a draw. financial thing. Yeah, maybe they, 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 well, they okay. want Schmeichel's wage bill off the books. Yeah. Okay, the offer, okay. The okay so you then give Vardy a new two-year deal at thirty-five, nearly thirty-six. This doesn't add up. He was let go for a million pound. Are you really telling me Leicester are in such financial difficulty they could allow a keeper who's got what, this season on his contract, who's been in service for 11 years and has been a real hero. And by the way, there wasn't no fanfare about Schmeichel going. He was just allowed to leave. It was very quiet. And I don't get that transfer because that makes no sense to me at all. And I don't believe Brendan Rodgers should have allowed that to happen, even if it said, we keep him to the end of this season. And and, the, and it was mentioned that, oh, we've got a new three-year deal at Nice. And we'll just say to him, you can go to Nice at the end of this season. You know, you don't let him go for a million pounds. Really? You know, there were obviously some issue because Michael didn't really say anything when he left the football club. A club he served for 11 years, he's won the Premier League with? I, I don't get that. I really don't get that transfer. And OK, I might, I might be making a mountain out of a molehill. No, no, but... it's indicative of a club that isn't being run properly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That, that's the bigger point. And if you really believe Danny Ward was your number one and he was better than Smeichel, well, then you've been on the moon for the last 10 years. <laughs> but it puts them in an incredibly difficult and almost sad position, doesn't it, really, Leicester, when you think of where they were and winning trophies and we were talking about them being the team to break the big six dominance and they had Brendan Rodgers as this incredibly exciting coach, progressive manager. And now if, as we believe, they're going to sack him at some point, where do they go from here when they're bottom of the table and in a relegation scrap? Do they, they want They want Thomas Frank. Well, that's a big Everybody ask, wants. Everybody we all wants want Thomas, Thomas Frank. Frank. Everybody wants Thomas the game Frank. Podcast should we get him, we get him on because he's so lovely? <laughs> well, that's a big ask, though. I mean, you're not going to go to Leicester if you're Thomas Frank, No, right? you're not, but that's who they'd want. In a way, I think it would be sad if he was fired. It's very clear that things aren't going right. Six defeats in a row, obviously. You've won an FA Cup. You've finished fifth twice. You've shown that you've got the potential to be a great manager at the football club. Why hasn't it bought him more time? I don't know. There's, I don't know why. And look, there's some people in the media that don't have as much love um, given to them because of the way they conduct themselves at times. And I think Brendan Rogers ticks that box. Okay. I could allude more, but I don't want to get <laughs> no, in no, trouble. No, no, um, no, no, enough said. Some enough people said. have had parties when they, you know, Brendan Rodgers left wow. Liverpool. <laughs> okay, all right, guys. I get it. We'll see what happens with Brendan Rodgers' future at Leicester City. I, I, I'm not going to say it would be harsh, but um, you didn't want this story to end in that way. But yeah, it's been good so far. And by the time you listen to this, who knows? Maybe uh, Leicester have made a change. Uh, one club pretty happy with their manager at the moment is Fulham, though. They picked up another three points this weekend, this time with a 3-2 win at Nottingham Forest. Maybe the most entertaining game of the weekend. Fulham sit in the top six. They are another championship side in the past few seasons who are managing to make the grade to step up to the Premier League and bridge the gap. Now, some are saying that this is the result of a few seasons of parachute payments. We've seen, though, with Norwich City or a bit of a yo-yo club, it doesn't necessarily, you know, mean that you're going to make the grade. So what have Fulham done this year that you think makes them a side that could stay up, probably will stay up from well, what we've seen? Well, first of all, we know they're going to be all right because Marco Silva's gone back to his I'm a proper Premier League manager and I will wear my I've spent all night at the casino outfit <laughs> where he, he, he looks slightly dishevelled and uh, totally in charge of his destiny. Um, <laughs> he, he, he just looks like he's, he's... If he didn't do that straight away and he didn't do it when he was in the championship, they have arrived. They are play you you listen to any post match or indeed pre match uh, interview with him or anyone connected or any of the players and they talk about uh not being scared of the premier league they're going to play the type of football they want to play they play with a freedom which you don't often get with a promoted team unless you laugh at them for being naive and they're pulling it off it's it's amazing and i i i have so much admiration for tim ream because of all the players who were written off, he was the one who got... Even Fulham fans were saying, yeah, we've got promoted, which is great, but we're going to go down if we keep Tim Ream at the back because that's what happens. Tim Ream's very good in the championship. We keep him on and we go down because he's completely exposed because of his lack of pace. 
what has he done? What has he done? To, he's, he's amazing. I mean, he doesn't have the pace, but they don't play such a high line that it matters that often. They are, and when he, he brings the ball out, he, he distributes it like he's like he's a Maldini figure and he's a fantastic captain. Um, you just I, I do watch him quite closely when I, because I'm very fond of him, when I watch Fulham. And the way he gets the team all working together and uh, that sense of camaraderie, it is fantastic. They play with no fear, and because the results have gone well, they can continue to play with no fear and they'll be absolutely fine. There's an intensity as well. I think that's what's quite telling in comparison to other Fulham teams in the Premier League where they've they've been a bit nice. They've been a bit kind of wishy-washy. They've been lots of passing moves. You know, they've quite often been near the top of the statistics for passing, you know, passing completion and all that kind of stuff. But this is a really intense team. And those goals, I mean, what was it? 54, 57, 60, bang, bang, bang. And the celebrations as well, particularly those two second ones, Palhinha and uh, Reed, the finishing and then the celebrations in with the fans. Like it feels like Silver's really got them kind of intense in terms of both their attitude and the play on the pitch. Do you not think, Tony? Yeah, I look on Friday night. There was Villa versus Southampton, two teams that have really sort of established themselves as Premier League uh, sides, and then you had Forest coming up and against Fulham who'd come up. And I tell you what, there was way more quality in the game for us against uh, Fulham. I like the two fullbacks. I think Tete and Robertson have done really, really well. I mean, Robertson handled Salah in the opening game of the season brilliantly, and and I, you know, they set the tone. They that performance we saw in the first hour against Liverpool, where Liverpool should have lost that game. I thought they were fantastic energy and like we're saying with players that have been trusted at the football club they feel like there was a number of times and I know they scored three game uh, goals up for us but there was a number of t- occasions in the match where they got three or four people in the 18 yard box that's going to get them goals because if you want to look at goals columns and you look at how many teams get a lot of goals most of them are, all of them are, are sides that get a regular amount of players in the 18-yard box. And in some ways, it's really weird because Marco Silva was renowned for having attacking teams. And at times, it didn't. Uh, Everton, it certainly didn't work out. You know, when he, he couldn't produce a team that looked effective. And, and this has fitted perfectly. And Paulinho, that's come in, has done really well. I really think that that's a side with a huge amount of energy. And that is shone for me. A lot, a lot is made about the recruitment of promoted sides. Um, and obviously we saw Nottingham Forest on the pitch, 22 new signings. They had seven new signings in their starting 11. Fulham had five, though. And obviously yeah. Fulham, a lot of people were unhappy with the way that they recruited massively in the in the way that Forest have this season, a couple of seasons back, and it didn't go for Fulham on that occasion. You look at it now and it, it's weird because it does, you know, you saw William out there, but he looked like he was a settled part of the team. Yeah. You know, he's just come back from Brazil, for example. I don't know why, but it seems like the recruitment has just... It just looks quite stable at Fulham this summer. Well, it looks like they're players that Silva wants and that they fit how he wants to play, whereas perhaps in previous iterations of Fulham in the Premier League, it's been a bit scattergun. It's been a bit, let's pick up this talented player from Europe for 30 million that no one's really ever heard of who won't quite succeed. But there's there's also the, the Tim Ream factor, as Alison said. There's a lot of players proving people wrong, not just Ream, not just Mitrovic. But in terms of signings, I mean, Andreas Pereira, I think I said on this podcast that he wasn't the kind of player that you'd want to sign going into the Premier League. It's a classic Fulham signing, I think I said. I'm going to get in my apology now because he looks great. He looks really energetic. He's kind of embodying that intensity, but in a very technical and classy way in the centre of midfield. So it, it all seems to be coming together for Silva, but it, it seems to fit what he wants to do. Yeah, four of the five, funnily enough, in that Fulham starting lineup who are new signings have played football in the Premier League. Yeah. You look at the bench, Carlos Vinicius, although he was at, on loan a, a year at Spurs, he's played in the Premier League. Dan James as well. They're two signings on the bench along with Mbabu, who, okay, he hasn't, but you, you get it. In fact, he was at Newcastle, wasn't he? Mm. So, in fact, there you go. Um, a few players that know English football, maybe that is a difference as opposed to those players that you mentioned for a bit of a scattergun approach. And they've also escaped from the Tom Kearney dilemma, which was he was injured so often that in every every game he missed or went off there was this sort of sense of gloom hung over them because oh, he's our one good passer of the ball <laughs> they've he's there but they've managed to move on and mm. say come on we can't rely, we can't rely on tom kearney anymore Zhao paulinha by the way <laughs> for 10 million quid 
Oh, you just wish the recruitment of some of the big clubs was Don't say just it. A Don't say it. They're not playing. You can't bring them up. Uh, it was just a little bit better. And, and everyone's looking at sporting. You'd think, why didn't mm. they? Yeah. Mm. yeah. When, yeah. Watching them against Spurs last week, there's a few there now you'd want to take. And also on, on Paulinho, uh, he will hold the record for the most yellow cards this season. Oh, yeah. All right. Um, he'll be up there <laughs> he commits so many fouls and... and he jumps into the crowd as well which he's always going to get you on <laughs> I quite like well, that though just, just have a look how many yellow cards he's going to get it's an early prediction from Tony Cascarino I liked that he jumped into the crowd yeah. I liked that he ran the wrong way and then was like <laughs> no I'm not I'm not celebrating in that direction our fans are over there pushed all of his teammates out of the way jumped into the crowd yeah Gave, gave five middle-aged blokes a hug. That's what it's all about. It's that intensity, isn't it? But uh, very quickly, as we're talking about uh, Brendan Rodgers, like Steve Cooper's going to be in trouble if he keeps going like this at Nottingham Forest, especially with their owner. Yeah, I, I feel sorry for him. I mean, he said, look, we're, we're obviously playing catch-up. We've got so many new players, we're trying to find a rhythm. But it's, you know, you're talking about that scattergun approach. It's so disjointed. You see some players who've come from the championship, you think, is he going to give them a chance? in the Premier League maybe to prove their worth obviously they know English football and then you've just got this it's just you know you've got a player that was playing Champions League football at Atalanta it just looks so disjointed you don't know where the harmony in that team can come from with an owner that is pretty trigger happy Steve Cooper's got no chance he's got no chance I don't I don't know how he's going to make this work because the moment you go for a dreadful run and they've just had that I really look they go Leicester away isn't it the next game the hilarious fixture of the season. El Sacico, the new El Sacico. <laughs> is that the, will well, they both make it the through? Term? They're not going to make it that far, according no. to Alison Rudd. But when you talk about signings, and we talked about silver and players that fitted and how you would want to, go back to that game against West Ham when you know Forrest had still made loads of signings, but they hadn't made all the signings yet. And you think about players like Lewis O'Brien in midfield, Harry Toffolo played left wing back. You know, They seemed to be players that were like Cooper players, who he wanted. Mm. And then they go and add more players on top of that and you come a bit further down the line and he's thinking, well, we've just spent 20 million on this guy. I've kind of I've kind of got to play him. So the O'Briens and the Toffolos drop out of the team and you look a little bit less Steve Cooper-like. Jesse, Jesse Lingard was on the bench Saturday, wasn't he? Yep. Well, you know, already into the season, they've spent a hell of a lot of money. Okay, not in a transfer fee, but taking him to Forest. Um, I... Yeah, but players have gone there for the dosh. They haven't gone yeah, there for I... the project. That's, that's <laughs> going to be part of the problem. Well, you look at it and you're like, you've got Jesse Lingard on the bench, Lewis O'Brien who came on and scored, Toffolo, Surridge, Kiate, Emmanuel Dennis, who of course had a great 20 season. Million. At, yeah. And you're like, how are they going to fit these players? They've got some very good players, but into a system that fits, get that relationship out on the on the pitch, keep them happy and get some form. It's remarkable. It's it. remarkable they played as well as they did actually against yeah. Fulham, to be honest. Because I mean, as Tony pointed out, there was a lot of quality and it wasn't just from Fulham. There no. was some nice stuff from Forrest. So no. I think Cooper, I actually thought, okay, they lost, but Cooper's done a brilliant job actually getting a game of football going here. Well, I've said in all the clubs I've ever played for or, or, or even can remember in my 18 years as a professional footballer that I've never seen a club make so many transfers. You know, okay, I, I get it. You lost a lot of players. I understand that. But can you really inject 22 players into a squad? <laughs> yeah, it's I just think that's just so crazy bonkers that I just can't imagine how that works. I, I have no idea how they thought it was going to work. The logistics of getting players into new homes or finding them this. And, I mean, it must have been an absolute crazy but, scenario. But the, the issue is Steve Cooper's he's not going to walk away from the job, but... You, it's almost like such a hospital pass in terms of the recruitment. He couldn't have been sitting in the office on the final week, been saying, "Yep, yeah, sign him, sign the other one. We need him. We yeah. need it." There's absolutely no way. Do you not so, think? Do you not think his? Um, well, he'd have never been on the Sounds different, band. and his body language is different. Yeah, I do. This is not a man who's. He knows he's got a lot on his plate. Yeah, let's put it that way. We'll see if Brendan Rodgers and Steve Cooper make it through to face one another next time out in the Premier League at the end of this international window. <laughs> One thing I did want to quickly mention to you guys, on Friday night, I was at Villa Park, Aston Villa against Southampton, which I have to say is without doubt the worst football match I have ever seen. I actually could not believe that you could describe it as Premier League quality players because the decision-making was so poor, the execution was so poor, the style of play was so poor. So poor. If they got like three or four passes together, either team, without losing it, you were surprised. Your jaw was on the floor. 
It was pinball. Mm. It was ugly. It was horrendous. And I actually texted a mate halfway through and I was like, this is worse than schoolboy football. So I wondered what the worst game you guys have ever seen, maybe in the flesh ever watched, was. It's gonna, it'll come to your mind. Alison, I know it sticks out immediately. You're going to have one. Well, it involves, involves Tony Cascarino, sort of. <laughs> <laughs> boom, boom. No, not really. I mean, I'm sure he'd have made a huge difference if he'd actually been on the pitch. It's Marseille v Red Star Belgrade in 1991. Champions League final. I had badgered my mother, who does not like football. I said, I can guarantee you, Mum, I've watched these teams. Red Star can play beautiful football. So um, I said, no, no, sit down, sit down, I'll make you a cup of tea. We're going to watch the Champions League final. And it was the most, nothing happened. Nothing happened at all. No one shot, no one passed, no one did. They just wandered around being rubbish till there was a penalty shootout. I was embarrassed because I'd said, I know it's going to be a fantastic match, but you can get that wrong. But for it to be a complete, you know, reverse and be probably the worst Champions League final in the history of Champions League and European Cup finals, uh, I got it wrong and it took her about another, I don't know, 20 years to trust me to watch another football match. Mm. But Tony Cascarino was not on the pitch. Not on the pitch. Why weren't you, you on the mind? pitch? Why you... weren't you on the pitch? I wasn't there in 91. Weren't you? No, I joined in 94. Pretty good excuse, actually, to be oh, fair. Okay. Pretty decent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, bit... I, can I give mine? Yeah. My, my game? This is quite funny because in 1986, I remember sitting down as a professional footballer and watching the Champions League, which was the old European Cup final, and it was Barcelona versus um, Star of Bucharest. And it was in Barca, the final. And I remember watching it. And I watched this Star of Bucharest team. Literally, I'd say park buses. I'd say they were Mark II, uh, Mark II trucks at the back of their team. And they just stopped everything that Barcelona did. And I remember thinking, I could ne I hope I never play in a game like that where you, you know, you just defend every position on the pitch and you offer nothing going forward. And it ended up nil nil. It went to penalties and Star Bucharest won the trophy. So they're the European Cup Champions League winners. Mm. And years down the line, I end up playing for Laszlo Bolony, who was the central midfielder for Star Bucharest that night. And I remember talking to him about that game and saying, that is honestly the worst game I've ever watched. <laughs> and he went, it's the only way we could have won it was penalties. We could not have beaten them in Barca unless we played a system that was basically 11 behind the ball the whole game and we would never give them any space. And it worked to treat. And that always stood out to me. I know he play, played for the manager of Starbuck West, but it was, honestly, this game would have sent you asleep after about a minute and a half because you could see the intentions of Starbuck West on that night. You lot do not know you're born, honestly. <laughs> mine's, yeah. a, mine's a Champions League final yeah. as well. European <laughs> football, Champions League. Hugh, you talked about Villa Southampton. That had a goal in it. What are you on about? You two talking about European nights, huge atmospheres, great occasions. Macclesfield nil, Lincoln City nil. Tuesday, 30th of March, 2004. I went on a school night and let's just say I wish I'd stayed home and done my, my, my homework because it was abysmal. I don't even think there was a shot for either team. Dreadful, dreadful game. Me and my dad still talk about it. It's the most dull thing we've ever seen. The thing is, Champions League finals have that layer of expectation. So I think when they're... There was expectation on that Tuesday night, Hugh, <laughs> as we drove across to Macclesfield. Come on, we, they, we took our place behind the goal in the standing area. There was expectation, mate. Don't you worry. OK, all right. Well, listen, I, I would have said, and again, it's probably because of the expectation, the 2003 Champions League final between... Juventus and AC Milan, which had loads of beautiful tricks and flicks, no quality of football, no real chances, went to penalties as well. Absolutely horrendous at Old Trafford, actually. I had so much expectation, I just watched it, and all these brilliant players produced absolutely nothing on the night, honestly. It was like a, all those people that say, oh, Serie A's boring. That was the game for them to say, see, we were right. So, yeah, that was probably mine, apart from Friday Night at Villa. But every <laughs> every worst game, does it have to be nil-nil? Because -nil? Um, we've all said nil-nils, no. yeah? No, it, it doesn't have Could to there be, be a worse game that had... I mean, because Villa-Southampton was pretty bad, and that's one nil. But you guys know I hate low-quality football matches. I am a see, football this snob. See, this is where you're all elitist, no. you see. Tony, I think you're right. I, any game that I would have gone to to watch Lincoln play, if there'd been a goal, I'd have been buzzing. 
absolutely <laughs> delighted. Absolutely delighted. So it, from my point of view, it kind of has to be a nil-nil. The criteria if it's 2-1 and it's crap football, that's not a bad afternoon out there. <laughs> right, listen, before we uh, end the podcast, there is a bit of fun to be had, a little bit more fun to be had. Tom Clark's brought in a quiz. Okay, like all good editors when they leave any copy out of the paper yesterday, <laughs> Bill Edgar came up with the list of all top flight hat-tricks by substitutes. I'm going to give you the game and the scores. I want you to give me the player, okay? Who scored a hat-trick or coming off the bench. May 1992, West Ham 3, Nottingham Forest 0. Who is the player? Tony, come on, I'm looking at you. 93. 92. Oh, and McAvenny. Correct, Tony Cascarino. Nice, easy one. Whoever shouts out first. February 1999, Nottingham Forest 0, Man United 8. Off the bench, Solskjaer. Well done, Hugh. March 2005, Charlton 1, West Brom 4. Oh, yeah. um, Oh, I know that one. Oh. Jason Roberts? No. Ellington? No. Little lad. Earnshaw. Morrison. Earnshaw. Earnshaw. Yeah. Correct. April 2008, Derby 2, Arsenal 6. Van Persie? Nope. Off the bench. Franny Jeffers? No. Is that too late? 2006, you said? 2008. Oh, 2008. Sesk? No. Moving on, Adebayor. Oh. Uh, Him. May 2013, West Brom 5, Man United 5. Oh, Lukaku? Correct. (laughs) September 2015, and this is a tricky one. Everton 3, Chelsea 1. And one of this player's goals came in the 17th minute, so he's clearly an early substitute. Everton 3, Chelsea 1. What year? Scottish forward. Oh, James oh. McFadden? No. The the other one. Scottish forward for Everton? Stephen oh. Naismith. Oh! I'd have never got that. I would never have done that. I would never have got that, actually. No, 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 I wouldn't. You did very well. Okay, all right, brilliant. A bit of fun to end the podcast. Uh, Thank you all for listening. Uh, Alison, Tony, Tom, thank you for being with me. Thank you all for listening for the past hour or so. Remember, subscribe to the podcast, or if you want more of our great journalism, another big week ahead of us, then make sure you check it out at thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game. We'll see you very soon. 